Hi, good morning. I'm Ozzy Durock and I write an OzBuzz newsletter. And in the OzBuzz newsletter, I always have a section called question and answers, and that's very popular. However, there's some 26,000 subscribers. Thank you very much. Um, it's become very difficult to type out all of the varied answers uh, that are necessary to deal with the questions. So I thought it might be a good idea to try and answer them by video. But guess what? I, uh, where can I put this? There's a nine pages of question that my secretary put together. Thank you very much. But uh, so I'm going to do my best uh, trying to play around with uh, getting to every one of the questions, or since there are quite a few on the stock market for crying out loud, I'm a real estate advisor uh, or suggester or an opinionator, if you want, right? But uh, question on inflation and all of this kind of stuff, there's lots of them. So I summarize um, what I think is the gist of the question. But I first want to tell you a story, and this has to do with a legal conference where bankers attended, and there were two Italian bankers, two French bankers, two German bankers, and two Canadian bankers on the plane. Each one of them shared a secretary, and the plane crashes on an island, very unfortunate. However, fortunately, there was enough food and water, and after two weeks, the following scenario had developed. The German bankers gave the secretary the weekend off, the Italian bankers, in a fit of rage, dueled each other to death over the secretary. The French bankers said, ah, c'est la vie, and jumped into bed with the secretary together. And the Canadian bankers, well, um, they're still awaiting instructions from head office. <laughs> well, today's bankers don't wait for any instructions from head office, right? They have their own problems. You know, we're going into a world where we have massive Mortgages coming due, $150 billion renewed in Canada next year, $350 billion the year after that. And while we have seen a real crunching towards mortgages, uh, and we're going to answer the question on whisper mortgages there in a minute. But the, the idea is, of course, that the banks have to be solid and solvent. And uh, anybody who says they shouldn't make a profit has to have their head examined. You know, do we want to have a thousand bankruptcies in banks like the United States had? in 1990. Now, they all have 4,000 banks with one branch, but still it was a massive collapse. So anyways, don't blame the bankers, but let's talk up a little bit about the issues that are most on your mind. And certainly Airbnb in British Columbia and their new zoning uh, that allow you to literally have a 20-story high-rise right next to your residential area and so on. There's a lot of questions there. And so there's one here where, which surprised me because it came from Edmonton, where apparently it's not just a BC thing, it's in Edmonton as, as well. And so this uh, lady writes, uh, this uh, guy writes that I couldn't find anywhere to buy, to purchase on your advice on Alberta and Edmonton. I'm going to the Money Talks World Outlook Conference. Uh, yeah. I live in uh, in Edmonton, nice area. I'm very concerned about the new bylaw and the ability to build a small apartment building right next door. I'm looking to move to Spruce Grove, what do you think? Well, uh, there's a similar question which says, always love your informative emails, thank you. Uh, just a quick question about the upcoming three, four, six zoning. Do you think the government will bring in the equity tax? I know we chatted it a few years ago on a video clip, and I just read in your latest email that you thought the government may make their move with this new rezoning. Do you think it will be taxed only on the new suites? Have you heard anything more? Uh, what about parking requirements and so on? Well, um, 
First of all, as, as far as the Edmonton uh, issue is, every city has good areas and bad areas. I like Spruce Grove myself, but whether or not it's going to turn out to be an investment depends on the deal that you're making, because you make the most money on the day you buy, and you do that because in life you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. In particular in this kind of a market, Edmonton has changed. I own condos in Edmonton. And uh, the return on investments are spectacular. I mean, you have a $170,000 brand new one-bedroom suite brings $1,700, far better than in Vancouver. That same suite costs $700,000 and you get $2,000. So the point is, that's going to be up to you and your negotiating skills in your general area. Overall, Alberta has huge inflow of new immigration, huge, enormous. And uh, when you take a look at what the average price in Vancouver or the average price between Mission and Lions Bay, that's the average price, 2.3 million. And in Toronto, we are, we, are, we are not that far behind. And so people saying, you know what, where else could we go? And they're thinking about moving. But the larger question in BBC, the 346 zoning, that comes from the BC government says, that we want to have more construction and we don't care anymore whether you have residential zoning in your city or not. So you could live in a cul-de-sac and your neighbor has a 50-foot lot because it depends how big the lot size is to how many units you can build, but on a 50-foot lot you can put six-feeter there. So you worked all your life to live with your family in this lovely little area. That's over with. No more guarantees that the neighbor is not going to go and build something larger. Then they doubled down and said, okay, if it's close to transit-oriented developments, now anybody I went to my conferences for 10 years, so we have the, the, the words TOD on our screen, right? Transit-oriented developments, always buy something near transit-oriented developments. So I appreciate the idea, but what it means is you have to really read the OSBAS, uh, I think it's number 89 or number 90, where we explain the exact dimensions. Or you can also go to the government websites. So if you have a, a very small lot, you can only put up three uh, three suites. If the larger lot is right next to the sky train station, yeah, you can put on a residential lot a 20-story uh, building. The under-parking question, it depends, right? If you're the closer you are to the, 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 the transit area, it could be a bus stop that's right next door to it, you probably don't have to have any parking. Something to 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 consider. Whereas if you are in a in a regular neighborhood, then you you may be able to build larger units, and then you don't have to uh, worry about uh, a lot of parking, but some parking parking that's regulated. You can take a look at it. A lot of these regulations are still in the making, anyways, right? So uh, there are a lot of details to come. Now the big there's a several questions on the the. You have been preaching for many years that you, the government will eliminate the residential capital gains tax exemption, and but it hasn't happened, and the Liberals said they won't do it. Well, yeah, well, uh, now this, the actual question that you had was on the, on the equity tax, and what the government has done, give a professor at UBC, Mr. Kershaw, somewhere between two hundred fifty and four hundred thousand dollars to study they say not the elimination of this tax but to study home ownership and he came up with a uh, last year and i guess in 2022 he came up with this brilliant idea that we tax everybody owns a million dollar house has to pay one percent per year in tax and so after 20 years the average house in vancouver is two million so 
1% every year for 10 years is $200,000 that you owe to the government. Regardless of whether you are, when you sell the house, move into another house, they don't reduce the house for you by $200,000. Even if the prices stay the same, you're out $200,000. Anyways, went over like a lead balloon. But you can see with their thinking is they're looking all these rich people. And he said this in many interviews that it's, it's you know, they're sitting at home and making money. Well, God, you know, it sitting at home, he fixed the eaves, he fixed the gardens, he had to deal with massive mortgage payment increases for years and years, and his kids went to school there. Is he now a bad person for having the government spent us into oblivion? I'm going to come to that. Trillions of dollars being spent, which was the cause of the uh, increase in the, in the real estate values to begin with. But that brings me to the, the elimination of the tax. Yes, I've done a video on it a year ago, and it hasn't happened. Well, the, the outcry from uh, Mr. Kershaw's equity or wealth tax uh, was substantial that the government wasn't going to double down and say, OK, we're now we're thinking about that. But guess what? They had a think tank. I believe it was in October or November of 2023. And guess who was the guest speaker? Mr. Kershaw. So don't hold your breath. The other thing is those of you that argue that they're not going to bring it in, they have brought it in already. If you today buy a, anywhere a house as your private residence and you move in and you move out in the 11th months because your job change or whatever, not only do, do you get exempted if you make any capital gain, you now have to actually not just pay the capital gain, but you have to treat it as income, as if it was an income. So that's even much worse than just eliminating the capital gain and have a regular capital gain. Because the idea is if you have to gain exemption, if you are, if they take it away, you still have only a capital gain, which is only taxable at 50%. So it's already there. So it's very easy to say, well, uh, next year, we're going to do it two years, two years after that, three. And then all of a sudden, it's the new law is if you sell the house within five years, you have to pay not just, uh, just capital gain, but you have to pay it as income. That is the danger. Well, people, I'm, I'm, I'm really much more worried, and it's one of the questions that I have a million-dollar capital gain. Should I sell? Well, that depends on how much you believe the government. And that the whole question on should I be able to build a sixplex next door, think this one through. You now have a nice house there next door, or you have an empty lot, and about, no, no you have a nice house there, and... Um, uh, you live in it, you have lived in it, you have a million dollars capital gain where you are right now. And you say, hmm, I should be building a sixplex. This is a good, good thing. The government says, I'm a good citizen. I'm building this. I can make some money. But nobody's answering the question of whether you now give up that million dollar capital gain that's tax-free. Because listen, if you build a laneway house right now anywhere in Vancouver on a 30-foot lot, you have to have your head examined. It's sixty to 70000 in fees alone just to get a permission to build it. Then it costs you 400000 something or more for the place to build it, and you rent it out at 3000 a month. Well, the moment you do that, you create income on your property right now. Uh, that same portion that the laneway house occupies as a portion on the lot is now no longer tax capital gains tax exemption. Already not going to happen. You make money, all of a sudden it's no longer a private residence. It doesn't make any money. So slowly, it's like the Indians surrounding the fort, and the fort being our capital gains tax exemption. 
they're coming after it. They certainly would want it. So the question on what you could build uh, and whether your prices is another question here, will prices go up around transit-oriented developments? Yes, they will. They always have, and that's why we always recommended it. In Germany, for instance, in my hometown of Cologne, which, by the way, had for 50 years the inside, the business district or the shopping district area has no cars in it already for 50 years. They've always been very progressive, even though it's a 2,000-year-old city. But they're also building buildings without cars. You're not allowed to have a car there. But they're usually on top of a railway station. And of course, in Germany, trains are actually on time. Uh, so, so, But it's happening, right? So there is a, a war going on against, uh, against cars. Well, OK, so now here are a lot of uh, questions on actually on, uh, on the economy. Of course, how do you see things going? And a particular question was on Jamie Diamond, who is the C CEO of Chase. Um, and he has sort of an ominous warning on the US economy. Uh, he feels the COVID money will run out. Um, that'll push us all into a recession. There's too much debt. Uh, there is, uh, we've spent too much money. All that free money is running out. We have quantitative tightening, which he's very concerned about. And he's actually skeptic. Uh, there's no way in his view that there are going to be six rate cuts uh, next year. And he talks about the $2 trillion of fiscal spending. In his view, all is inflationary. And so, you know, that's always the million-dollar question. You know, will the real estate market go up? You know, and so here the question is, a few years ago, you talked about the fact that we have a industry by industry inflation or deflation. And now you talk about as hard asset inflation and economic inflation. Well, yeah, all was relevant at the same time. And industry by industry inflation is going on right now as you look around. Let's say we, we talked in those years, and thank you for being a subscriber such a long time, because that would have, would have been in the early 2000s. But I was talking about the guy is a vinyl record uh, seller. And uh, he is in a $10 billion economy and his riding high. Well, up come CDs. In the same marketplace, vinyl records go kaput, CDs soaring. So one is in a depression, the other one is in an inflationary runaway. Okay, then VHS, same thing. VHS comes out, huge uh, blockbusters and all these companies come up. They're in a boom. Well, next thing is we come up with CDs and uh, and and inflation, deflation, one is in, the other one is out, and then we come up, now we come and be streaming, takes out newspapers and all sorts of other. The change is always industry by industry within the larger concept. The question on hard asset inflation versus economic inflation, I've talked about it almost at every one of our conferences. By the way, we have the Michael Campbell World Outlook Conference coming up February the 3rd, where I will be speaking on 27 years, you know, we have been at that conference and what a massive conference, always 1,200 people show up. But the point is that when you look at, in my view, is and in my view, I follow Milton Friedman, I put up his slide for 20 years and, and Milton Friedman says that inflation is primarily a monetary phenomenon. And if you look at those books behind me, every one of those books, including the one from which I called Forget About Location, Location. Everybody says I wrote a book for, about location. No, I wrote Forget About Location, Location, because I make the point that as long as we keep on printing money the way we are, 
that we will never, ever pay it back. I mean, right now we owe the world $300 trillion. And uh, under no circumstances are we ever going to pay it back. And so we shouldn't be uh, too surprised. Take a look. Just uh, this here. Um, come on. This was a slide that I put out, uh, I made a speech to one of the largest mortgage companies in 2021, and I showed that the U.S. national debt was $29.9 trillion. I mean, think about it. Yeah, I mean, by the way, you can go to usdebtclock.org and can watch it as every single state in the nation uh, goes higher and higher and what they print. Now, we are now, you think we're only about three years higher, right? Two years higher, and guess what? As of the week of um, January the 9th, we are up 30. This this still shows 33.9. It's actually gone now over 34 trillion dollars. I mean, these are big bucks we're talking about. It is absolutely massive. And so, I in in my view, as I, so these are little printouts as to what I said that you really have to get into the real estate market because of the hard assets and because we keep on printing money and. Uh, the inflation that we have currently, we talk about core inflation and headline inflation and, and all of these different inflations. I have just simply two kinds of inflation that are important to me. And then, of course, the, the most important one is that are we creating a lot more money than we deserve? <laughs> like, I mean, do we really uh, have um, this money available and we can get our budgets into uh, into sync? Well, you know, Mr. Trudeau, our prime minister, said the budgets will take care of themselves. <laughs> sure, we don't have to worry about it. They'll care, take care of themselves. But when we look at uh, the inflation that took place, say, from 1965, the average house price right across North America was under $13,000. And then by 1998, when I wrote my first book, that same price had gone in Vancouver to 278,000. I extrapolated that value to 2032 and came up. Every house price would be worth $5 million. And the thing is, it has gone up relentlessly against all the talking heads because it's a hard asset. And hard assets will always inflate in direct relation to how much money we print. And we have the mother of all monetary printing going on right now. I mean, across the world, it's not a Blame Canada, blame. No, no, we are just printing it like crazy. We're giving it away. And so we now have this excess. Argentina is now over 200%. Turkey is 130%. And so when you look around the world, and I wrote about it in my newsletter, as you hopefully know, or sign up for it at osbuzz.ca. The point is that, you know, you see it. And the central bankers of the brainy nations like England and Canada and they see it too, and they say, God, and that's what they saw a year and a half ago. We better raise those interest rates and stop it, or we're going to be in Argentina. The runaway inflation was always on in, in the cards. Now, it's the kind of inflation we're talking about. It's a monetary event for hard assets always. So that should, us as investors, should make us feel pretty good, because if it's always going to go up eventually, uh, then, then we're going to be all right. Well, again, read my newsletter in, in I think, issue 48 to 50. I gave a detailed in, in, uh, information about my view on, first, you have to have inflation. If you think it's going to be deflation, sell everything, get into cash, roll up in a little ball and cry. <laughs> but 
I, I, I'm bet, betting on inflation. Secondly, it's timing. The timing is even crucial. Now, we haven't got a single question on timing, so I won't say it. But when you look at the line going from 60,000 to 2 million, say, in Vancouver, and the United States go from 10,000 to 480,000, which is almost average throughout this multi-huge country. When you look at that, in between there, there were, you know, 2008, and there was 1990, and there was all of these areas where the timing, I, I went to Phoenix with a group of investors, and we bought condos for $30,000. I was on the radio every week in 2010 and 11 that I said to people, go down there. These things cost $250,000. They're selling them at 30 on the courthouse steps. So the point is, it's inflationary. Well, what about commodities? Well, commodities is an economic issue. So if the Chinese buy fewer cars or sell fewer cars in Germany because their economy goes down, they need less raw materials, which they buy from us. And so commodity prices go down. Right now, lithium is crashing, even though we need it for our electric vehicles. I'm not going to come to that later. But the point is that that, that is an economic issue. And so you can actually have an economic deflation in all assets that are tight economically uh, on demand and supply, where their inflation is, is, is industry by industry commodities, right, which can go up and down depending on our use. At the same time, we can have hard inflation at the same time. So in 2014 and 2016, our real estate soared, commodities went down, and that's why you have the government says, well, we pick only the inflation we like, and we call it core inflation, and that's 3.1%. Nobody goes to the store that it's 3.1%. That's why last week in the middle of January 2024, we now have a situation where we actually have an increase in inflation again. And, you know, all of these things going on with the bankers, with the, with the world, you know, gives, gives you um, gray hairs just, uh, just to worry about it. But I am a real estate investor, fortunate enough. I came out of the hotel industry. I was fortunate enough to buy my first house and I've never looked back. And in our real estate action group, we have created, anybody that's been a member of the group for more than three years. And the last time I, I did sell the club, but the club itself had um, some 87% of them became millionaires after they were with it for at least three years. It's, it's constant action. You have to take action, not just think about it. And uh, and you have to have an inflationary environment and you have to have the right timing and understand cycles and understand the local influences in any market and you will do well in real estate. Okay, that's my two cents. I always get questions on Bitcoin. I don't know why you do this to me. Only because I said when it was 60,000, get the hell out. But I thought it would be okay at 40, right? <laughs> and it went right through down to 16. And the comments I make, not from knowledge, I'm just observation. Interestingly, we talked about James Diamond. Now, he says, don't buy Bitcoin. It's only a use for tax avoidance, anti-money laundering, terror, terrorist organizations, sex trafficking. I mean, you know, he just thinks it's bad for people. It's, it's a casino. So interesting enough, I think his company just launched an ETF. But interesting also, this is January the 15th or 16th, Bitcoin, after it soared to the late 40,000s, is now down 15% in three days. You know, it's a casino. All right. So, and I'm not going to tell you what to do about it. I'm not in it. I don't profess to understand it. And there's a lot of things in the new AI world that I don't understand, which, by the way, 
on AI, there's a question. In one sentence or less, tell me what ChatGTP really is. One sentence or less, that's it. That to me, I use, you know, 100 words anytime, but two will do. ChatGPT is essentially, first of all, it's free. Go try it. Type it in. Go to open.ai, not open.com or .ca, no, open.ai to ChatGPT, and it gives you a window, and you can type it in and play with it just for kicks, and it's a good thing for you to do anyways. Write in. Um, I'll write a letter to my wife, and it'll write a letter. Write a love letter to my wife. Then the key is, and that's the one sentence, use ChatGTP like a pupil that works for you. A pupil meaning it's learning. Because that same letter, write it in as, make it more human. It writes it again. Make it more business-like. Make it in point form. Now think about that. You know, we were fiddling around with our, with our investment group and just we put in idiotic things. Sell a house to a dog. It wrote a magnificent letter, you know, as if you were a dog. And it talks about, you know, you'll need spaces to run around in, buy a house with a yard. And I mean, you know, so the key is it learns all the time. It's a pupil for you. And it's a text-based word oriented. It doesn't compare yourself to the internet. No, it, it just writes better letters. It does a lot of research that you uh, that you don't have to do anymore. You know, right now, for instance, this video, when I'm finished, I'm going to use the keywords and I'm going to put clickbait this sentence. And as you have noticed in my last few videos, I have this idiotic clickbait things in there. But guess what? People, that's what they click on. They don't click on something sensible. I'm going to get credit. I'm going to get clobbered. Okay, so the 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 other question is, I read that the Bank of Montreal is talking about non-performing assets. What are they? Well, first of all, I haven't seen that. Uh, but I have in my past life, I was general manager of Royal Page in Vancouver. We had several hundred uh, agents and uh, we, we had, we couldn't get any money. We could get the deals, but the mortgages were just far, far and few between. And so the general manager whose name I remember with great fondness at the time of the TD Bank, and Ivy would meet once every two weeks. And I had a deal with him that no matter what our salespeople actually bought and got in mortgages, we would he would make available the next year in, in mortgages for other deals. So, so, so we would talk about that. And then I said, so how are things going? He said, well, I said, I got all these non-performing assets. Well, that, what is that? That means that it's the guy is not making the payment, the company is not making the payment, Nobody's making any payments, but the bank doesn't want to write it off because it's an asset on my balance sheet. So non-performing means it's a deadbeat, deadbeat thing. So if you have too many non-performing bank assets, well, you get broke. So I doubt very much the Bank of Montreal actually talked about that. But all banks have non-performing assets. All Every company has non-performing assets. At one point when I wrote my newsletter, I had... At any one time, I had a, a, a hundred people didn't pay their monthly subscription. Then I hired a new secretary. Wow, I'm going all over the place. But you know, you need to have somebody that gets on the phone and says, "Is the check in the mail?" You know, anyhow, <laughs> I, nobody asked that question, but I gave it to you anyways. Interest rates, my God, please. 
If I knew with absolute certainty what interest rates were going to do, I'd be a very wealthy man. Now, I've been doing all right, but the point is, rates, who knows? The rates right now, since Roman times, were always at least 3% actual. So in Rome, at the most, in, in the beginning, certainly there was no inflation as we know it, the rates were 3%. So today, if we base that over the centuries, that 3%, and we have an inflation rate of, of 3.5, then we should be at 6.5. Um, even the magic 2%, we should have a rate of 5%. The past um, finance minister we had, who uh, was very worried about the banks, he said the banks should never go in their mortgages below 3.5%, I believe, or 3 or 3.5%. He was worried about, and the banks went right down to one and a half, you know, at one point. So the point is that the the interest rates forecast is a mugs game. So the central bank in the United States allowed the possibility of three. The bank stock market thinks it's six and seven and goes nuts. You know, it's all, so who knows? Really, nobody knows. But an interesting person is a Mr. Leishman on TV. I kind of like him. He seems to be balanced. And he figures that and there's always this inversion of rates. If the two-year rate in, in bonds is higher than the 10-year rate, then that doesn't bode well uh, for, uh, you know, for almost everything except, of course, for the bonds that, uh, that people have been uh, getting the better yields on. And so we have this crazy world where we, we hit 5%, which allowed Jamie Dimon to say that he might go to 7 and then went back down to 3.7, and now... And yesterday it's back up to 4.2. Who knows, right, what the outcome will be? But the, the key is this, that there will be a cut, but it won't be a, you never go back to 2% or 3%. So let's say it's a quarter in May. After that, every other meeting, a quarter, say a second quarter in July, a third quarter maybe, as a US election year, maybe we, uh, <clears throat> we'll have another one there. So expect somewhere between a half a percent and three quarter percent for the whole year. Whereas at the same time right now, you know, the bank rate still says you have to pay 6%. Don't ever pay the rate in the window. Haggle, right? And there's that whisper rate, whispering meaning, <laughs> you know, the banker says, you know, I haven't got a good client here, or the mortgage broker says it. If you had your TV repossessed, no, you're not going to get the whisper rate, the best rate. But we've seen them very close to 5% for the, for the fixed money. And even just a touch below, like 4.99 or so. Well, listen, in 50 years, we are always, 45 years of those, that rate was over 5%. It's only 2016, 17, 18, relatively recently that we've seen rates below that. So don't hold your breath. 5% is fine. All my money I ever made in, in a big style in the middle of my life was over 10%. And as president of Royal Page with 10,000 employees and the best money, Best advice money could buy. I stood on TV and I said, 11% is a good rate for the family. <laughs> I believed it. We came from 16 and 7. So the point is, it's not the rates in the end. Is it a rate that you can afford? Is it the, the deal that you have? Is it a good deal? Did you look at all the ins and outs in terms of, I, I'm amazed what people do. Standing in line, bidding on shit, house, excuse me, shit houses just because everybody else wants it. You know, we have this this crazy psychological thing. And here, this is an answer to all these questions go to the fact about, you know, what's going to happen. Well, 
psychologically, the market is actually fairly strong. You know, ever since we believe the rates are going to come down, we now in December uh, have seen, well, the actual numbers don't look that good. You know, I mean, we had 372 deals in December in Vancouver and not 377 and 372 in 2022. Is, oh, well, we are, well, but it was 1,050 in 2021 and 1,000 plus in 2020. You know, I mean, we are, 30% below the 10-year average. So sales themselves are still way down, but there's more activity because people think, hey, rates are coming down. I don't know what they're expecting the difference of a half a percent would make. What it will make a difference is for anybody that's renewing their mortgages, and that is a good thing. I mean, that's what we want, you know. I mean, people through no fault of their own, although had they listened to my newsletter, uh, and my videos, I would have said, lock in the mortgage. You know, what are you gambling for? You want to sleep at night. But that's you say that's easy to say afterwards. No, I've been saying it for five years. My partner and I have bought tons of real estate that we always fix the mortgage. It's an insurance policy. And we've had examples, and we talk about it in other videos, where we, we had to make a penalty of $100,000, but we made a million, right? So the point is that you... You want to be safe though when things go bad. And right now in the United States, a lot of Vancouver investors and other investors are underwater. And the interest rates are the, the, the problem. The building is fine, the occupancy is great, the income is good, but the cost of the debt is terrible. Okay, so here's a question on the election in the United States uh, coming up. Well, um, generally speaking, in the U.S. election years, over the years, interest rates don't go up. Uh, sometimes when the, the bankers, um, when the, the president maybe like now is closer to the Fed than the opposition is, you might see a slight downturn, like likely next year. But overall, the banker, the federal banker doesn't want to be seen as being, you know, working on the outcome. And so if we have Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden uh, running against them. I doubt, I think they will be running on their own performances, not, not on what the rates, the interest rates are going to do. But if the economy is really poor, well, Mr. Biden will be suffering on that. I thought that an interesting, um, um, you know, an interesting take was, again, Mr. Diamond has seemed to talk about it. Uh, this week in Davos, uh, who talked about the fact that we are we are throwing our opposition under the bus, you know. I mean, the left thinks the right are not just against something, but they're total idiots, and the right thinks the left are bananas, and and it's not a happy situation. And he says even to demonize the opposition is ridiculous. And so Mr. Diamonds, to my surprise, really gave a kudo to Mr. Trump. He said, demonizing Trump doesn't serve a purpose. He says, well, do you really care about his first personal life and his family life? He says, look at his record, you know. I mean, he was right on China, you know. And I wrote about it at the time that when he said to China, how come you're charging our car importers 12.5% and we charge you only 2.5%? That has to change. He was right on, on Iran. The first thing he did was he cut Iran out. Then he said to the Houthis, you're a terrorist organization. What did Mr. Biden do? The opposite. He freed Iran, freed all the money that Iran had that they're then using to fight a war and 
let the Hutus take took the terrorist organization label away from him, but it is last week, and I think he put it back on after four years. The point is the immigrant crisis. Trump wanted to build a wall, and he was vilified for wanting to build a wall. And yet now the mayor of New York wished that there was a wall, and he was seeing that the immigrants are now being sent. I think the border cities are smart. They're moving all these immigrants on the planes and flying them. Anyways, immigration, by the way, is a good thing. That's structured immigration and not, we seem to think that every person, every human in the world is a good person. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And we should not bring in anybody that comes here and likes our system and then works actively against it. Our universities are against Western values. I mean, where do we do we, that's by the way, not a question and I should shut up about it. I, I will, but he said he was right on China. He was right on Iran. He was right on NATO. I wrote about it at length that even Germany hadn't paid 10 years the dues to, to you know, the defense contract with the National Association, the, the NATO is. Even Canada, we hadn't paid since 2001 or some crazy numbers. And Trump says, that's it. We're not going to pay for that. And he said to BMW, you know, if you keep on building your cars in Mexico, I'm going to slap a tax on it. Build And what did BMW do? They built plants in Alabama. So the point is there, there were some things that he did were perhaps not that good. But according to Diamond, and I would agree with that, don't throw everybody under the bus. You know, listen to them all and then exercise your, your right to vote. And yes, I am favored. Um, I have been, I wrote a chapter in Mr. Trump's book in 2009. So it's a long time ago, long before he was elected. And I was quite proud of the fact that he was a very well of real estate ace, and he picked me together with 16 Americans. I was the only Canadian and featured me, right? So I don't know why I got into that. But anyways, uh, it is just getting a bit longer than I want. Uh, I will do more of those on a more regular basis, not just Fridays, but Fridays for sure. Uh, there's one thing that sort of a, a little bit uh, sticks in my craw, and this has something, you know, people seem to think I'm against uh, the government. No, I'm not. I'm certainly against some of the things they do, but not all of them. And one of the things I'm actually uh, in favor of is Mr. Ewey's proposal that drug users uh, should not be able to shoot up in a park or on a beach or wherever the hell they want. And to my great surprise, uh, which is something I think is a good law to have. My great surprise, the judge said drug users have a legal right to use their drugs anywhere. And that uh, apparently, I think uh, maybe the BC Nurses Association, don't hold me, but somebody argued for this. And I said the harm reduction uh, is at paramount. Really? Who's harmed? Who's harmed? My kids are running around on the beach, throwing a Frisbee and falling over a guy shooting up in broad daylight on the beach in, in our parks. It's ridiculous. But it's more ridiculous that nobody seems to be against these things. I, I, this is a good move by the government. I mean, they made the choice to get into drug use. You and I didn't, but we are to blame. We don't supply enough help for them. The drug quality is not good enough for these poor people. Don't let me go on this. But now I can't go to the beach without having people sit there in broad daylight and use their drugs. <laughs> okay, 
That was not a question that you asked, but it was an answer that I wanted to give. So look, um, I'm not sure that this is gonna work for me, but I have a lot of questions that are specific, like how many developers are actually bankrupt is one of them. Well, first of all, I wouldn't wanna say that, uh, but the, the question was worded in such a way that it didn't believe me. Well, there's an 87 unit townhouse project in Langley. There's a large project in Victoria. There's a half a dozen projects in Toronto. There are some very, you know, very tough uh, deals in Toronto that that uh, a lot of realtors that have a video channel uh, seem to be intent on driving Toronto down uh, in, in terms of their value. Listen, Toronto is still our financial center. People will go there. Just like Vancouver will always have a border, a mountains and an ocean, and you keep people hemmed in there, values will be will be will be good in those areas. And uh, so the last one, the, the last question that that um, uh, by the way, just just Google these things and say developer defaults, and you'll be amazed how many you will see, how many are in default or developer lawsuits 2023. Yeah, it's normal. This is what gets me that the government and the people seem to think that developers, they're all just rich fat cats. No, they have to go out. In order for them to build a building, do you think they all have $50 million in the pocket? No, they have to get 60 to 70% of the building pre-sold. And everybody says that's a bad thing. Well, without it, the buildings wouldn't be built because he takes the pre-sales to the banks. And if the pre-sales aren't strong enough, then the bank says you can't get the money and then they're not being built. So the whole idea by taking stuff away from the developer's ability to make a profit um, means nothing is going to be built. And the, the crazy thing is in Burnaby, the city says they're going to build, just like our provincial government is now saying, we'll have to build it ourselves. The private sector is not building enough. Well, in Burnaby, the question at the, the council two weeks ago was, how come Everything a developer builds or a residential built is $600 a foot and everything the city builds is $1,300 a foot. Good question, because it's hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent by local governments for proper purposes, more pools, more police, more schools, all of those good things. But why are they costs double? Good questions. I wish you a wonderful weekend because it's coming up, we're coming out of a snowstorm of, of some magnitude. And I hope that you will enjoy your weekend. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I keep on saying these silly things. I said it at one of the meetings and I said, you know, just for kicks, you know, every morning you get up, decide to gonna be happy. And, but to make everybody happy around you, say to your wife, you know, I'm really happy that I'm married to you and I love you. And uh, you know, so everybody was laughing in the group. We had about 90 people there. And then I said it two or three times more. And uh, and then I thought, and then I made a joke. I said, well, normally I only say that when my wife is in the audience. And there she was. <laughs> so the brownie points that I thought I had won were on the quite. Uh, these are my brownie points for you. Have a good life. But live your life large. So you're not going to get out of this life alive, right? So you might as well enjoy it. And boy, the whole world is standing at immigration offices and want to come here. Why do we have millions and millions of people coming want to come here? Because this is the greatest country in the world. No question about it. Mountains, oceans, everything you can do. Yeah, so it snows once in a while. 
Yeah, great, isn't it? If you're scared. The point is, everybody wants to be here. You're already here. So enjoy it, love it, and tell everybody that you love it. Have a good day.